Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The British spy who cracked the secret to Chinese tea. How a 19th century act of industrial espionage changed both Chinese and British history. Written by Tyler Roney. Published in the World of Chinese. Read to you by Cliff Larson. In the mid-17th century, tea found its way to the coffee houses of London. And by the mid-18th century, the drink was so widespread that Chelsea began manufacturing imitation Chinese teaware. The famous English tea time is the product of the 1830s, more specifically by Anna Russell, Duchess of Bedford. For over 200 years, the British were obsessed with tea, all without knowing how it was made or exactly what it was made from. Much like silk, the secret of tea was a closely guarded secret in the Middle Kingdom, a staple from China almost unparalleled in the history of trade. Back home in England, botanists argued vociferously over already dried breeds of tea, claiming that black tea and green tea obviously came from different plants, but this was all just guesswork, as no European botanist had ever gotten their hands on living tea plants to study, much less understood the arduous process by which it was made. The argument was put to bed by Scottish botanist Robert Fortune, who first went to China in 1843 as a collector for the Royal Horticulture Society. Rather than bringing back knowledge of orchids and shrubs, Fortune returned from his first trip with tales of vicious pirates on the Yangtze River, hateful anti-foreigner mobs, and whole slurry of other adventures that took England by storm in his book, Three Years Wandering in the Northern Provinces of China. Despite the many baseless, racist diatribes on the character of the Chinese, Fortune certainly had an odd love for the Middle Kingdom. He wrote, quote, All along the coast, at least as far as Zhejiang, richly deserve the bad character which everyone gives them, being remarkable for their hatred to foreigners and conceited notions of their own importance, are nothing less than thieves and pirates. But the character of the Chinese as a nation must not suffer from a partial view of this kind. He traveled through Guangdong, Zhejiang, and Fujian provinces to study the secret of tea. Back home, the science of the time split black and green tea into two types, Camellia boge, Camellia veridis, respectively. However, Fortune's studies yielded a stunning discovery. He explained in his book, quote, Those who've had the best means of judging have been deceived, and that the greater part of the black and green teas which are brought yearly from China to Europe and America are obtained from the same species. Because of him, the taxonomy changed from Camellia boge and Camellia boge into 
Camellia sinensis, tea from China. The difference was nothing more than a minor change in the creation process, in that black tea was made from leaves that have oxidized. His discovery, studies, and gunfights with pirates also yielded the important fact that the Chinese teas from Guangdong province were dyed. Europe and America at the time enjoyed what they thought was the natural color of tea in water, calling it a beautiful bloom of color. Fortune discovered that these effects were made with a type of paint known as Prussian blue, iron ferrocyanide, to suit the taste of the foreign barbarians, especially making green tea greener. His writings, which would soon become popular around England, seem to embody the mystical, tragic heart of the explorer. In referring to attempts to understand and explain China, he says, We were in the position of little children who gaze with admiration and wonder at a penny peep show in a fair or marketplace at home. We looked with magnifying eyes on everything Chinese and fancied, for the time at least, that what we saw was certainly real, but the same children who look with wonder upon the scenes of Trafalgar and Waterloo, when the curtain falls and their pennyworth of sights has passed by, and find that, instead of being amongst those striking scenes which have just passed in review before their eyes, they are only, after all, in the marketplace of their native town. Fortune returned to Britain. But history was not done with the great adventure botanist. Knowing that black tea and green tea are with the same plant was all well and good, but China still had a monopoly on the trade. The powers at home wanted to regulate the price of what had become by far the most popular drink in the country. The opium wars were expensive, and the East India Company knew that they needed a more cost-effective method of getting tea rather than just exchanging it for opium. They needed a spy. Who better than Robert Fortune? Fortune's knowledge of tea and China made him the perfect agent. His next trip to the Middle Kingdom had a mission, to gather live samples of tea to be cultivated by the British-controlled India, eliminating reliance on the Chinese methodology and stock. Fortune's second trip to China would have trade repercussions that would last for the next century. His writings of this time would be collected into a book called A Journey to the Tea Countries of China, published in 1852. The book records many fantastic exploratory gems, observations on opium smoking, advice on shaking a Chinese spy, musings on Chinese culture, and close calls with angry boatmen. Dressed in Chinese garb, Fortune wore the persona of a wealthy merchant from a distant Chinese province looking for tea, traveling well beyond the areas allowed to by foreigners by treaties of the time. He even had his head shaved, as was the custom, commenting on his barber skills. I suppose I must have been the first person upon whom he had ever operated, and I am charitable enough to wish most sincerely that I may be the last. He did not shave. He actually scraped my poor head until in tears came running down my cheeks— and I cried out in pain. But all of this pales in comparison to Fortune's ultimate mission of obtaining tea plants for mass harvest. 
he was able to send well over 20,000 plants and seedlings to the Himalayas for cultivation by the British, and the effects were drastic. While Fortune was able to introduce over 120 plants overall to the West, his work also turned the tea trade in the East on its ear. With East India Company able to make its own tea, India, not China, became the most important tea-producing nation in the world. This would remain in effect until the middle of the 20th century. Perhaps the most comprehensive book on the subject in English is by Sarah Rose, author of the book For All the Tea in China. She said in an interview with National Public Radio, China has pretty much never really come back from that certainly not in the Western markets. Now that Asia has become a booming economy, the Chinese are again pretty fierce tea producers, but it took a hundred plus years. Fortune's boast was that the Himalayan tea plantations could now boast of having a number of plants for the best tea districts of China. His actions would also help fuel the British Empire via the trade of tea for some time to come described by some as the greatest and most successful act of corporate espionage in history. By all estimations, Fortune's career was a success, and his contribution to the world of botany are incalculable. Fortune would return to China once more and then opt for Japan. His achievements were myriad, but perhaps none changed history as much as his audacious heist of the secret than the seedlings of tea in China. This is a story from our latest archives. It was originally published in 2015 in our issue Startup Kingdom and has been lightly edited. Check out our online store for more issues you can buy. The author Tyler Roney is a former managing editor of the world of Chinese. You've been listening to The British Spy Who Cracked the Secret to Chinese Tea. How a 19th century act of corporate espionage changed both Chinese and British history. Written by Tyler Roney. Published in the World of Chinese. Read to you by Cliff Larson.